Hi, I'm Brian Horn with Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Welcome to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. Chuck Bowen, editor of Lawn and Landscape Magazine, spoke with Jason Cup, a consultant in the industry, about what trends he is seeing in the human resources aspect of the industry. Here's Chuck's part one conversation with Jason. We'll post part two at a later date. Um, so, uh, Jason, I know that one thing you talk with a lot of contractors about and one thing you kind of are, that's really in your wheelhouse is, uh, is the HR sphere of a business. And I know you work in a lot of industries, so I think you have an interesting perspective on for contractors. But when it comes to, to lawn care and, and landscape guys out there, um, HR is one thing that I think a lot of a lot of guys don't they don't get into the business to really move a lot of paper around, and so it can be something that kind of gets pushed to the to the back and doesn't really get treated the right way. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about what contractors need to keep in the forefront as they as they look at their business from a business perspective and and what what they need to do when it comes to HR? Yeah, you bet. Well, I mean, it's actually a really big topic. I would say that that a lot of the times, Chuck, that that I'm getting phone calls, especially when it's kind of a crisis situation, it's because of, of an HR issue. It's because something happened and a business owner doesn't know what to do with it. It might be a vacation request, simple as something as simple as a vacation request, or the inquiry I got this morning from a client of mine that uh, they had two of their employees that um, that had you know inappropriate um, conversation and, and kind of all of that stuff this morning or uh, last night <clears throat> while on the clock. And so you know, so that has to be dealt with from a legal standpoint. You know, so there, there's there's multiple extremes or a tough termination if if you've got an employee who has done something wrong or, or egregious or or done something unethical. And what does that look like? So I mean, honestly, HR is so important. And and I've said it before that it doesn't matter if you have two employees or two hundred employees. The rules. Um, of just basic AR, AR, HR, <laughs> AR accounts receivable. Um, the <laughs> rules of basic HR apply as if you have one employee. Now, granted, as you have more employees, the rules change. But at the end of the day, if 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 there's a if you're a small business owner and you're listening to this podcast and you have just a couple of employees, you still have to have the base HR strategies and the base HR understanding. Um, otherwise, you'll be in non-compliance, and that can, can that can become a really you know big issue. And the the interesting thing that a lot of people don't understand about HR is it's really there to protect not only the um, the employee but also the employer and also the employees that work with one another. And so it's kind of almost like a guidebook or an understanding standpoint, which by the way is mandated federally in the U.S. and then it's also mandated to some degree at the state level as well. So there's two layers of HR compliance, the, the federal level and the state level. It's there really for, um, for, for protection. Um, and it also protects the applicants, so the people that are applying to work at your company. So it's a super, super, super important, um, you know, element that any business owner, small or large, needs to understand at a base level. Um, and and the crazy part about the world that we've been living in with HR, I mean, it was pretty easy, or I guess I should say easier, maybe is the better way to put it. It was pretty easy five years ago, and today the laws change so often. 
um, that it's it's totally a challenge to try to understand what it is. And oftentimes, when I speak with business owners, Chuck, they literally scratch their heads like in misunderstanding of what they're even supposed to do. So it's a huge challenge, and you know something that is that is a, a really, really, really super element that any business owner needs to keep in mind. So, so for the average landscaper or lawn care guy, you know, where if I, if I'm him, where do I start? Well, I think I think that if, if I'm if, if you're the average, you know, landscape contractor, number one, the first thing that's most important is, is you have to have an employee handbook. And if you don't have an employee handbook, then um, I mean, you it, it, here's the thing. If there's ever a. Uh, uh, an element that comes into play, like, you know, for example, an employee quits or they're terminated and they go to the Department of Labor and, that, and they say that it was a wrongful termination or that you've done anything wrong from the HR standpoint, the first question, doesn't matter if you have two employees or 200 employees, the first question the Department of Labor is going to say is, let us see your handbook. If you don't have a handbook, if you do not have a handbook, then um, then all of the rulings almost are going to err with the employee. But if you do have a handbook, then the Department of Labor is going to realize what your policies are, realize that your employee or employees have signed off on that, and that's going to be you know kind of the guidebook that they walk through to understand if you've been compliant or not. So the, the first step, I think, in any HR element is to have a handbook. Um, and and it's, it's critical, it's required, um, it, it's not optional. And if you don't have a handbook and you're on this podcast, that, that has to be step one, is you have to have the handbook. Okay. And that, that's just a, I mean, that's just sort of a, it's a guideline, right? So it allows you to kind of think through kind of if, if some event happens, if I need to fire somebody, sure. this, this yeah. is what you do. Right. Well, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it basically has the company-specific, federal-specific, and state-specific state rules for what it's like to work for your company. Mm -hmm. You know, things like vacation and benefits, and overtime, and exempt and non-exempt employees, and um, you know, what what happens if somebody does something wrong? Are they written up? You know, what, what's grounds for termination? Uh, what's the appropriate use of company cell phones? Uh, what happens if uh, sexual harassment happens in the workplace? What happens if you have a drug addiction? Now, that's one thing that has to be in a handbook is, is that if, if you've got a substance abuse issue, um, it's a requirement by federal law that you have um, the resources in there that the employee can go and read um, different um, nonprofits that they can reach out to to help them with their substance abuse issues. So there's just a, a, a lot that goes into it. Um, and there's templates that are out there. And if you're uh, a member of certain trade associations like NALP, National Association of Landscape Professionals, I believe that there's templates you can get through those. So there are lots of um, things that need to be in there. And there's assistance that you can get to create those. Um, but a lot of it is just the kind of the rules, air quotes, of, of what it's like to um, to uh, be a member of a certain company's team. Right. So, so just this isn't like um, this isn't like what a what a contractor would develop, say, you know, about like a mission statement or a vision statement or like a branding thing or or anything like that. This is really like the nuts and bolts of <clears throat> here's here's the scaffolding of how our company operates, you know, in terms of. The, the basic day-to-day in-house stuff. 
Yeah, it, it, that's ex well, that's true, Chuck, but a lot of business owners do choose to integrate culture elements, so like mission and vision, uh, you know, just different elements of the company's culture into the handbook. Um, so, yes, at a base level, the definition is the rules, the guidelines, the expectations, but most business owners and anybody that I work with on a handbook, although I don't do it that much anymore, um, it, they I do encourage them to tell the company history to share different culture points so that that new employee or that existing or that existing employee really understands um, who the company is and, and it's not just a rule book that it's also an investment in the history of the company who they are now and where they're going so what's what's step two for a contractor if the, if the basic entry level nece, uh, necessary is, is a handbook like that what what's the, what's the next thing you see contractors uh, struggling with yeah, so, well, I don't know that it's a struggle. I, I mean, I would say step two is you got to follow the handbook. You, you, once you write the handbook, <clears throat> you've got to follow what's in it. You can't be selective. If you have a vacation policy that's outlined or a benefits package that's outlined, you can't, um, you, you can't, um, uh, not follow it because <laughs> then that would be non-compliance and so you, yeah well but but it's interesting because you know some you, you know I've encountered some business owners that they have uh, selective memory regarding benefits packages or um, or like vacation policies or whatever that might be and so it's really super important that business owners realize that once you have a handbook you have to follow it I know that I mean I know you, you chuckled but the truth is, is that a lot of business owners forget what's in it or they don't consult it. Um, you know, so for example, one of the things that's in a handbook is, you know, what happens when, when an employee does something wrong? Yeah. Um, whether that's a small thing like being late or a big thing like, you know, damaging a client's, you know, home or property or doing something inappropriate with another employee or whatever it might be. And they, they don't follow that process. They, you know, they sit them down, they talk to them, they don't maybe write them up. Um, if it's something that was grounds for, you know, employment, like I, like I remember, <clears throat> I remember um, back when I was running my landscape company, this would be a great example. I had a family member that was working for me, um, a family member. So, you know, so you, you kind of tend to have a different lens when you have a family member working for you. And, um, and, and that family member violated something inherently that was in the, the handbook that we had. I mean, I mean, clearly, blatantly, there was no conjecture to it whatsoever. It was absolutely a blatant violation of something that's in the handbook, and I had to terminate that family member. I couldn't have preferential treatment, even though I knew it was a mistake, even though I knew it was an error, even though I knew all of these extenuating circumstances, I still had to terminate because that's what the handbook said that I had to do. If I had chosen not to terminate in that situation, then other employees could come and say, listen, Jason, you have this handbook that's a legal document, by the way, and you're not following it, so everything in it is, um, it, 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 everything in it, you know, is, is void or whatever. You know, so you can't have preferential treatment, and a lot of business owners, I mean, myself included, I mean, you kind of have those employees that you like, and so you kind of let them slide a little bit. Can't do that with a handbook. Can't do that in the world of HR today. Um, you can't treat one employee one way and another employee another way. It's uh, it's it's equal sources for everybody. So it's a it's a it's a pretty important element to understand what's in that handbook. Sure, and I think I guess for me, what what this 
what I hear is it really makes it makes it easier in many ways to to have this thing put together. Um, it's sort of like you can think through, you know, how you want to set up things like like you said, like vacation time or employee discipline or or anything like that, and it saves it saves you as the owner from having to re rethink through what you want to do every time. You know, if somebody comes in and says, you know, can I borrow my can I borrow the truck to go, you know, to to go do this special thing today? Well, no, the policy is nobody gets to take their truck home. You know, it, you right? Can kind of, you can rely on that and say, well, you know, you don't have to say like, well, in the special case, we're going to do this, or, you know, well, let me think about it. You know, it's you've thought about it once and you have it set so you don't have to cycle through all that stuff again. <clears throat> totally. Yeah, totally, totally agree. You know, so, so here's an interesting thing, um, you know, Chuck, that, that I'd love to share um, with folks if you think that it's relevant is, is that I, I was asked to do, um, to kind of think through some, some 2016 HR trending topics, some things that small business owners really need to know about. Handbooks were on that list. Um, and and I think it might be relevant for you and I to banter through a handful of them um, that that are that are important for small business owners to just be aware of. There's there's really not an action item necessarily. Oh, and a few of them there are. Like handbook is an action item for sure. But um, but just an awareness of things that are cultivating out there that really could impact business, whether it be small or big, you know, this year. So I don't know if that would be relevant to people who are listening to this, but I I know that um, that I've, I've got kind of these things that are percolating around in my head relative to HR and uh, and kind of those trending topics for this year. So if you uh, if you think that's relevant, we can go through a few of them. Yeah yeah, let's do that. I think that'd be really helpful. Cool. Well, um, you and I are recording this in the spring. Um, I don't know when it's going to go live, but obviously there's not one person in the United States of America, no matter how far you put your head in the sand, that <laughs> doesn't realize that we're in the middle of a very, very, very interesting presidential election right now. Right. Um, and, and, and I've told you before, you and I have talked you know, privately just in our friendship, but also probably on recorded lines or in the magazine. I'm not a person who uh, talks Politico, so this isn't about Politico. This isn't about talking about a certain candidate or what they're going to do, because I, I don't think that that's relevant. I think it's very divisive. But I can tell you this, from an HR standpoint, the presidential election is probably the number one thing that any small business owner needs to be aware of because, um, you know, we're going to elect a new president in November of 2016. That president's going to take office in January of 2017. And that president has a lot of influence into the Department of Labor and um and HR elements in the Department of Labor is one of the major things that affects every single person that calls themselves an employee in the United States of America. Would you agree with that? Sounds good to me. Yeah, so depending on whoever the candidate is and what their personal agenda is and what their cabinet's agenda is, the world of HR could change drastically in the first 90 days of 2017. Um, so. So regardless of who's in there, things are going to change. I mean, one of the things that we've learned in the last eight years is that one of the reasons that 
HR and the Department of Labor has changed drastically in um, in the last five years is because of who who's you know leading the executive branch of the government um, and who they've appointed to be in charge of the Department of Labor. So. I think one of the number one things that I've identified is that, you know, Capitol Hill right now is very uneasy. Um, there's lots of talk of immigration. Um, you know, you, you've featured in the magazine um, in some breaking news elements relative to H2B, which we're going to talk about here in a second. And you might have some influence on that as well, because I don't have a lot of information on it. But the tax taxes in the economy, if you look at the different, I saw kind of an interesting infographic online somewhere recently. I really don't read the news relative to the election, but it just popped up probably on social media or something. And it was um, the uh, difference in taxation on an average wage earner. Don't even remember what the amount was mm -hmm. um, on all of the different candidates and how much more. And literally, it was it was a swing of, and I, I think it was like an average wage earner, like 40 grand or something like that, that the swing of taxes paid versus taxes saved was thousands of dollars between all the candidates. So wow. that's going to affect everyone in regards to how much is being taken out of their checks you know, over the course of a year. I mean, if that's $1,000 over the course of a year, that's 80 bucks a month. That's going to affect the average wage earner in a huge way. Um, and so it's really, really important to realize that um, that the presidential election is super important. But the other part of that isn't the new candidate. It's also what does the current administration want to try to push through before um, President Obama leaves office? They're going to try to push some things through before January of this year. That's my guess. That's my you know that's my crystal ball element. So I think that as business owners are paying attention to the election to realize the potential differences, you know, st step away from the politico. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle this person's on who, who gets into office, things are going to change. And that means handbooks have to be updated. And business owners need to understand the federal side of things and what is going to change and what isn't going to change relative to them running their business from a simple human resources compliance standpoint. It's scary to me if you ask, if you ask me honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I mean, I agree. Uh, London landscape is politically agnostic. You know, we don't we don't get into a lot of that discussion. And it's it's really it's one of those things that's not not in our control, you know. Um, sure. I think, uh, but, but I agree. I, I think it's important for for all of our readers um, and, all, and all the contractors out there to to think about that stuff and to be aware of it for sure. Yeah, totally. I, I, I agree completely. And and I, it's a good way of putting it that the magazine's agnostic, so am I, you know, relative to political things, but we still need to be aware of it. Because um, I think that if business owners aren't, they're going to they're gonna have a little bit of a, of a, a rude awakening um, to thinking things are one way and they end up being something totally different. So presidential election is huge, important. Absolutely. So you mentioned H2B. I think that's another federal level thing that uh, certainly a ton of contractors deal with um, uh, what do you have what do you have as far as that goes in terms of uh, of your HR uh, HR tips yeah you know so um, you, you know as you very well know and by the way you know much more about it than I do um, uh, it, it, because you're covering it in the magazine and it's it's impacting businesses in such a huge way and I got to tell you the um, Gosh, the darn thing about it is, is that 
um, you know, the, the, the cap for the first half has been met. There's a lot of people in our industry, specifically the landscape industry, lawn care industry, that did not get their workers, or if they are getting their workers, they're getting them way late. Um, I just actually, you know, read an article recently about a, a landscape guy. I think it was um, a landscape company that has chosen to just not stay in business as a result of not getting their H2B folks. I have a particular client of mine that didn't get 60 workers, so they are... They are quickly re-outsourcing all of their work, which is going to affect their profitability for the year and their strategic planning and their growth ability and their capacity and all of those elements. So the, the thing that I'm saying or the thing that, that, you know, and this is not going to be a popular <laughs> comment, but I really believe that business owners need to figure out an alternative to H2B because I do not think it's going to be able to be reliable. I mean, it was 2008 or 2009, I can't remember, when I flew um, from Dallas, Texas to Washington, D.C. as NALP, then Planet's president, to testify in front of Congress about H2B stuff. And guess what? Now, seven years later, the argument, seven or eight years later, the argument is almost exactly the same. <laughs> the caps have been met. The timing is down. It takes way too long. The rules and regulations are this. Can't find workers. And so if there's a seven or eight or nine year trend or longer than that, actually, in something that is problematic, I believe that business owners really need to think creatively about how to go about finding their workers. Um, I, I don't know what you think about that philosophy or not. I know that a lot of people really rely on the program, but I just believe that it's been riddled with issues for such a long time that it's probably not going to be resolved anytime soon. Right. No, it's it's. I always say that H two B is the is is the sort of. Uh, uh, second worst solution to the problem the worst being doing nothing you know it's it's a very useful program uh, on this uh, when it works and it seldom works and i know a lot of landscapers really rely on it and you know they 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 say that the guys that they get from the hgb program are some of the best employees they ever have and that's the i think that's the problem with it is that it when it works, when it works well, it works really, really well. And these contractors and, and many other industries too, outside of the green industry, really rely on it. Um, but it's, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's sort of like dropping a thousand dollars in the garbage disposal. You know, you really want to get that thousand dollars out of the garbage disposal, but you got to put your hand in it. And you have to deal with, I mean, three federal agencies that often don't get along with each other. Um, and then, the whole thing is overseen by Congress, which, you know, mm -hmm. right. works, works about as often. So, you know, it, it's a real challenge. And yeah, we, we just ran that story about uh, about uh, that Michigan company that closed its doors after three decades because it couldn't, right. couldn't get its workers. And, you know, that's that's a shame. That's a real shame because, you know, they were a really standout company, did really good work. Um, but that said, I, I don't I think anyone who, who looks at h2b and says well this is the solution to my labor problem and it's going to work forever and i don't have to do anything else is putting themselves in a really really bad spot and i'm not saying that's what happened in michigan but um you know it's it, a lot of contractors are between a rock and a hard place um and so and that gets into recruiting and, and retention and things like that which is a totally separate podcast but um but yeah it's it, you're dancing with the devil when you work with h2b it's just a, it's just a challenge
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, and I did, I, and it's interesting, I read that article about the Michigan company because my client that was really struggling with, uh, that outsourced, uh, you know, that was looking for, I think, 60 H2B guys and didn't get approved fast enough, um, he, he sent it to me and I read it, you know, many weeks ago and I was just like, wow, this really, really stinks. Um, and, and so, you know, so one of the things um, that, that I did, which I think, um, you know, maybe could be another um, another podcast sometime, Chuck, is um, I actually went to my clients who had successfully over um, overcame the uh, the uh, H2B issue and have done a really great job of recruiting and then also um, posed the same question to uh, the peer group that I facilitate. Um, I, I asked the question of what are you guys doing with recruiting and, and come up with this this really fun kind of out-of-the-box list of ways to find great employees. Um, and, and so maybe that can be a topic for another podcast. Um, I just thought about that, that I've, I've got those notes and they're, they're from a cornucopia of, of people all over the United States who have brainstormed ideas of how to go find great talent. So maybe that's something we can put on the the docket for recording a podcast on some time is these out of the box ways. Some of them are probably not so much out of the box, but it's good to just get it in one place and park it in one place. Yeah, no, I think that would be great. I think that'd be, that'd be a real useful thing to put together for, for the listeners. Um, cool. So, so is there more you have on H2B or is there something else on the, on the list that you want to, you want to get to? No, let's 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 move on because uh, I, I think and, and I, I know you've covered this in the magazine as well, is uh, is the Department of Labor overtime rules. How there's current legislation that is to increase the salary for exempt employees from twenty three thousand six hundred bucks to over fifty thousand. Um, are you aware of that legislation that's that's out there right now? Yes. Um, so you know that that caused. Um, Mayhem, as you're probably aware with readers and listeners, um, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, and, and it's all, it's it's not, well, let me say this, it's not law yet, and, and there's, there's, there's a chance it won't even become law, it, it's being discussed right now. So that's where listeners really need to understand what this is, because they need to have influence with... Uh, with their uh, elected officials, they they really do. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I'm um, I'm uh, I, I want to kind of cover a couple of things that I think are relevant to that. Yeah, I mean that we've covered that that topic just just about like what you've described that these changes are are going through the system. You know, there's always some question as to whether or not they'll get passed as described or whether they'll change or or anything like that. But um, you know, I know that one would have a, a big impact on every company in the industry because it pushes that over yeah, so, down so far. Yeah, so so let's explain what it is for those that that um, haven't read it or haven't heard it explained. Um, so what it is basically is that so an exempt employee means that um, the employee is exempt from overtime. So oftentimes that's a, 
um, a, a manager or upper level person, or sometimes it's an office manager or an operations manager. Typically, it's somebody in management. Um, side note: it, it's it, it's impossible to have all of your employees be salaried exempt employees, and it, it's impossible and it's illegal. So, if uh, people are listening and uh, they have all their people um, on their team paid salary, um, that that is a huge red flag to the Department of Labor because it's impossible to do that based on the definitions. But that's a whole other topic. So, if you have someone on your team that you pay salary to, and that salary salary is currently below this new proposed amount, which is around $50,000, um, they would not be exempt from overtime anymore. That's basically what that means. So, for example, if you have an office manager, um, an office manager has a couple of people in the office that works for them, and they're uh, managing the office, and you pay them a salary of $36,000 a year. They, uh, Whether they work overtime or not, they get $36,000 a year. Um, under these new rules, you would need to pay overtime to that person because their salary is less than $50,000 or so. So it's a huge, um, huge element um, relative to small business owners because not a lot of people are paying over $50,000 for salaried employees. They can't afford to in this industry unless you're a really big company or you have a huge depth of, uh, of management. So I think... Um, I think this is really important for business owners to understand that if this does go into effect, it's going to dramatically change the way that they record keep, the way that they stay compliant and legal, and also their costs. So it's going to affect their bottom line because they might have to pay their employees more because they're going to be subject to overtime regulations. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so 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 so, here, so here's the thing. Here's what listeners need to understand: is that in a couple of months, the, the current timing is in June um, of this year, June 2016. Um, it's going to be posted. The 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 actual um, laws and regulations are going to be posted. The, the proposed laws, I should say, um, to the Federal Register, and that's when public comment can begin. So it's going to be probably a 60 to 90 day. Um, um, element of public comment, and, and I would encourage Chuck that when we find that out, that that you you know publish that in the e-newsletter and get that out to your um, your network of people to realize that that's when business owners can chime in. That's when they can say this will adversely affect our business. We're going to lose employees. It's going to cause us to lose money. Whatever the reasoning is, which are all legitimate reasonings, uh, business owners need to convey that. Um, in the public comments, um, you know, time period, they need to write their congressmen, they need to write their senators, they need to write their local people. They need to express their opinion about that. And my encouragement would be that you know that that there is some type of communication that occurs from small business owners to their elected officials to say this isn't going to work for our business um, because elected officials obviously are elected, and you know we know all too well that when there's a grassroots campaign, sometimes we can move the needle. And so that's really one. Of of the you know the important elements because my, my concern quite frankly is that this might be something that um, that you know could be pushed to happen before the end of President Obama's um, time in the White House and so um, it, it's an awareness element it's no reason to panic there were a lot of business owners that were panicking over the winter about it because they thought that they, they had they had some misinformation or or it was kind of um, a scare tactic to understand that this was going through. It hasn't gone through yet. It, it's it's being proposed. 
Right. Yeah. And whenever I whenever I talk to contractors, I always encourage them because we, we talk a lot about regulations, you know, for for business stuff like this or, or chemical regulations, you know, for lawn care guys or, or um, things like that. And I always encourage them, you know, to to start open the lines of communication with your elected representatives because um, absolutely because it, it's it's an easy thing to do. It's a it's doesn't co- doesn't cost you anything. You, know, you don't have to fly to D.C. every couple weeks. Um, That's right. But it it puts it puts a face on the industry. And I think what's what you want to happen, just like anything, when when your elected representatives start talking about this, they they understand it's easier to put a face to an industry when you have that a contractor contacting a, an elected representative and say, oh, this is this is you know, this is Rob's company. I know I know a landscaper. I know some landscapers and here's what they're about and here's what they do. Um, you know that that's that's something that should be going on all the time, not just you know the the industry flying into a tizzy when something's about to get passed or, or suddenly becomes an, an issue. Um, and it's you know everybody's busy, but sending a couple of emails or, or stopping by you know the local the local office of your elected representatives doesn't you know doesn't doesn't hurt. So it's only going to help the industry. Yeah, I to- totally agree with you, 110. percent Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so I think that's a big one. Um, the, the other one, which actually just got recent um, national coverage, is uh, is the potential of, of uh, increased minimum wage, which will which will grossly affect the landscape industry. And I believe it was in the state of California. They recently, you know, said that by I think 2022, in the next five to six years, they're going to ratchet up minimum wage to uh, $15 an hour. I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the question is, is that can our industry sustain that? I mean, if that happens, especially at a federal level, I mean, it's already happening in some states. Granted, the bar is instantly raised for everybody in the industry, but then are clients going to be willing to pay a commensurate amount more? Because the number one expense, hands down, number one expense, I've looked at thousands of profit and loss statements in the service industry, and the number one expense is payroll. Number one expense is payroll. So if you have um, if you have a payroll amount and, uh, you know, and it's increased by, you know, 25% or something like that, you know, or 50% in some, you know, some states, can your business sustain that? Can you double your prices to your clients? My guess is no, no, you cannot. Right, right. So, you know, we see that around around the country a lot, you know, people, cities mostly raging, raising minimum wages or, or the federal government saying you're going to have to pay this certain wage. Um, but no, it, it's something to really keep an eye on. And I think that's going to, I I think if you've got, you know, the, the apocryphal story of crews leaving, for leaving one company for another company for a quarter an hour or 50 cents an hour or a dollar an hour. Oh, right. Absolutely. If, if that's something that guys either can't or won't address in, 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 right now, I mean, to double double or triple the wages of, of your guys is just going to be, it's going to be impossible. Yeah. So, you know, so I think that to, I'm always shocked. This is a little bit of a side note, but I'm always shocked at the um, people that I talk to that are not um, that that are are not um, increasing their prices to their clients on a regular basis. So they're they're um, 
they're, uh, they, they're, you know, I've talked to people and they've said, gosh, we haven't raised our prices in four years, but yet their costs have increased. And so one of the ways that we, I think that we can um, be aware of mitigating these additional expenses, because here, here's the thing, I mean, yeah, so fuel prices are down right now. They're likely going to go back up. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we need to be, um, we need to be very aware of the fact that our costs are increasing, insurance is increasing, labor is increasing, taxes are likely going to increase, workers' comp across the board, in my experience, is increasing regardless of what your experience rating is, unemployment insurance is increasing, you know, all of these different things are going on. So, you know, so to increase prices incrementally, to understand that costs are going to increase is probably smart so that you're not sitting there staring at the door of an increased, you know, forced minimum wage from a federal or a state level that is going to, you know, adversely affect the company's financials. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's something where we can't. You know, we, we experience that here at the magazine, too. You I mean, when, when we need to, we, we watch our expenses and. Um, we make sure we're not, you know, spending lavish amounts of money on, you know, flying Jason Cup around the country to do stuff, and that's fine. Um, right. But it's we also know that at a certain point we need to sell more. You know, we need to sell more stuff, and um, that's how we're going to get ahead and grow, um, and and continue to be able to support all the people here and support the industry the way we do and. Um, I think it's the same the same way for for the average contractor. So, um, especially as the markets improved, I mean, uh, I hear it all the time. You know, it's people are having a really good year. The the season's off to an early start. Um, I think, you know, I think price, pricing is a separate a separate conversation. But, um, you know, I think it, it can be a bit challenging for the average owner because I, I think there's a there's a certain hesitancy. You know, you don't want to lose the business entirely. You'd rather get what you keep what you have than than risk it all. Sure. To get an extra few percentage points, but um, you know, I think I think a lot of guys are leaving money on the table. Totally agree. 